Have you ever allowed your imagination to run wild about the world of work? To wonder what would happen if we tore up all the rules and started again? Welcome to What If, a podcast from the CIPD's work magazine that dares to ask the previously unthinkable. I'm Katie Jakers from the CIPD, and this episode, I'm blowing up HR. The HR profession is one that's subject to its fair share of jokes and negative headlines, but it wields increasing power and influence at the top of the business world, its cachet only growing through the pandemic. But what if we followed what HR's harshest critics often ask us to do? What if we abolished HR altogether? It's been seven years since the publication of that provocative and controversial issue of Harvard Business Review, which proclaimed on its cover, accompanied by the image of a bomb, it's time to blow up HR and build something new. Plenty of time then for the profession to put some distance between itself and the offending sentiment. And yet, at the time of recording this podcast, it's only three weeks since The Telegraph published an in-depth article with the headline, How the HR Monster Destroyed the Workplace. It painted the profession as an ultra-woke bureaucratic beast. Ouch. On the other hand, there is no doubt of the great impact HR can have if it is effective in, to quote the purpose of the CIPD, championing better work and working lives. Nowhere was this clearer than during the pandemic, when HR professionals kept people safe and organisations functioning during a time of unprecedented challenge. So why does this negative perception of the function persist, and how can we shake it off? What does the future hold for the people profession in a volatile and complex world? And if we did abolish HR, would we miss it? To debate these questions, I spoke to two experts with decades of HR watching and practising experience under their belts. Peter Cheese, CEO of the CIPD, and Wendy Hirsch, Principal Associate at the Institute for Employment Studies. I began on a positive note, asking Peter and Wendy to define what good HR, the kind surely no one could take exception to, looks like. Peter first. I think good HR is, is a lot about understanding context. Uh, and that context is everything from, of course, the business. And, and HR is a business function, so it needs to operate within the context of understanding the business, business priorities, business strategy, business issues, business challenges. But it's also got to understand this very big context of how the world of work is changing, expectations of uh, people in work are changing, the nature of jobs are changing, and organizations are changing. And and that, of course, is very much our professional competence that we have to bring alongside understanding the business. So those things are more critical than they've ever been because there is a lot of change and a lot of things developing and technology impacting work and so forth. So I think the true value of HR operates from that and then, of course, brings real insight as to how do we create organisations that help people thrive, that deliver right outcomes to the organisation and that uh, are sustainable both in the short term and the long term. In other words, these are strategic and really critically strategic imperatives for HR and where HR, I believe, adds its greatest value. Good HR has to be helpful, has to be responsive. At a basic level, that means can you contact your HR function if you want to ask it something? But also, to be responsive, you do have to be quite close to the business. Uh, so for me, it has to feel to others in the organisation like it's actually a present um, source of support. The second um, feature for me is it has to be proactive. It needs to spot things coming up and act 
really before problems become very big. And managers don't always have the time to do that as much as they would like. And they don't always have the chance to look outside the organisation as much as one should. Um, So I think HR needs to be looking up and sort of looking ahead and looking out. HR needs to be professional. That means you have to know some things and you have to be evidence-based as other professions would be. And to be professional, that means you have to study, to reflect, to research, to share to evaluate. And finally, I think just one other thing, I do think there's something about integrity and honesty and standing up for the right thing. For me, a good HR function needs to have the independent mindedness and the courage to do that when it's necessary. That's what good HR practice looks like. But if there's no smoke or negative telegraph headlines without fire, there must be room for improvement. So, what are the poor HR practices that give the whole profession a bad name? And why do they, and the reputation they inspire, continue to be so hard to shake? Wendy first. I think HR is easy to knock, and indeed is uh, often the butt of jokes, I think. Um, I love that in the Hitchhiker's Guide, it was in that spaceship that all the jobs that were a waste of time are. I don't take that view myself, not at all. But I do think there are some weak spots in HR that probably are valid criticisms. It does chase the latest shiny thing. And I think that's a sign of insecurity in the function. And also, I think senior managers sometimes look to HR to be doing the latest thing or the thing some other company is doing. Uh, And it's how HR directors sometimes sadly make their reputations by coming in, putting in the latest shiny thing and then zooming off again. Um, and coupled with that, I find it has a very short attention span sometimes. It, it it does not remember that it tried that thing two or three years ago and it didn't work. It does have a very weak evidence base for its work. And that's not just about research with a capital R. Things are very seldom piloted, but also it doesn't evaluate enough, even in simple terms. You know, did this work? And if it didn't work, why didn't it work? And I think often in our excitement to redesign and design all the time, we don't stick with things long enough to get them embedded and and producing at quality. And then, of course, sometimes dreadful things happen and HR doesn't seem to be there. You know, chief executives occasionally do appalling things. Uh, We play fast and loose with people's contracts of employment and conditions of work. Where is HR when that stuff happens? Good HR is there. And good HR, I think, does guard against that. But obviously, it's the bad stuff gets into the papers, isn't it? I think, you know, a lot of the origins of HR, not exclusively, but quite a lot of the origins of HR seem to be more about policies and rules and and controlling things and, and rather driven from a wider belief, I think, in business, not just in HR, that the, the best way to run an organization was more through command and control, dealing with people 
uh, as things that needed to be controlled rather than empowered or engaged. And I think HR very much sort of followed that line and, and in many senses therefore became that function that people saw as a control and policing function as opposed to an enablement function. Um, so that was definitely when you ask so many people about their so-called horror stories of HR, that's what they'll often refer to. One of the central challenges of working in the HR profession is that question of who you are there to serve. Management, individual employees, teams, shareholders, customers, the wider community. You can't please everyone, so perhaps there will always be horror stories, from someone's point of view at least. But many would argue it's that inherent tension that makes the role so interesting. So how do those in the profession go about navigating this complex network of stakeholders? And as we try to juggle those sometimes competing interests, management and staff say, whose needs come out on top? HR's got to be confident in what it's doing. It's got to be able to bring evidence to both sides in terms of the debate. And of course, obvious examples of where those two can be in conflict is around things like uh, the cost of employment or pay. That would be very obvious things. And and. I think many people have perceived because of HR's lack of confidence has tended to side more with management because ultimately, I suppose, HR would say, well, if I'm not supporting them, then they're the ones responsible for my paying conditions and so forth. Um, but we do have that profound role, as I said, to balance and understand the needs of both sides and to bring that insight of the people and what's happening to business so that we can have a rational and balanced uh, discussion about some of these very challenging questions, which are certainly with us at the moment, around things like pay and relationship with staff and the jobs that we're creating and the options that we have, whether it be partnering or outsourcing, whatever. These very big strategic questions. But you could extend our stakeholders a little bit more broadly than that. I mean, I think there is a lot of, and rightly so, a lot more debate in business about this multi-stakeholder view of the world. So customers, suppliers, employees, of course, not all the workforce, um, but also communities and environment. And I think HR arguably has a role, just as all business does, with all of those. And I would particularly call out things like community. When when we talk about inclusion and diversity, one of the really big drivers for that is that we can show as an organization that we are building organizations that reflect the communities that they are part of, but also, of course, the customers that they serve. And that is something we can directly impact and should directly impact as HR. Um, and then the other one, which is environment, which I think, in all honesty, we have more to do on as a stakeholder in business in general, but probably particularly in HR. What is our role in HR and understanding uh, impact on environment? And and that is something, as I said, I think we need to pay, pay a little bit more attention to in HR. So you start with those two key stakeholders, but I think you can extend it and recognize that we do have a role with the wider stakeholders for businesses as well. A weak HR function can really just be a management lackey. It can be an instrument to do what management want to do, even if it's not the right thing to do. I think what we would all like is that sort of sweet spot where we think of things that are done in a way that both motivate and support a diverse workforce and meet the needs of the business. Of course, the business isn't a creature the business is only management, really. When we talk about the business, that's really what we mean. I think it's no surprise that after several decades of that, we suddenly backfilled with a whole lot of stuff about employee engagement and well-being. We shouldn't have lost those things in the first place. And I think that narrative that, that the 
the HR function sometimes tells of the sort of bad old days of welfare moving to a modern strategic HR function is not a bright narrative. I think a good business is not one that treats its workforce badly. We all know that. You know, those things are not new. Cadbury, Josiah Wedgwood, many organisations always knew about employee engagement and well-being. It was some foolishness towards the end of the 20th century that we somehow thought those things were old-fashioned. A good business, as Wendy says, is not one that treats its workforce badly. But can it be one that doesn't do HR at all? There appears to be an increasing trend of CEOs proudly proclaiming they don't have HR functions. Take a headline last year, which quoted the CEO of Octopus Energy as saying, my billion pound company has no HR department. Dig a little deeper, of course, and you'll find plenty of staff at the company working in people management disciplines, just called something different. I asked Peter what this denigrating of HR by business leaders does to the profession, whether it's something we should be worried about and how we need to respond. I've often said to some degree that the management or business leaders get the HR they deserve. I mean, if you, as a business leader, think that HR should be pushed into the background and just deal with some of the technicalities and admin, then that's the kind of function you're going to get. You're not going to get people wanting to join your organization, you know, good strategic thinking HR people who want to innovate and do things differently. If what they can see is a leadership that just regards HR as this uh, very transactional and administrative thing and, and almost dismiss it, even publicly, um, versus a leader who says, no, I recognize that first and foremost, you know, to use an old truism, that, that people genuinely are my most important assets and I need to understand them, I need to create supportive cultures, I need to create adaptive and agile businesses and all these other things. And therefore, I need a really good and strategic and capable and value-adding HR function then that is much more likely what you're going to get. You're going to create conditions to attract the best HR talent and then hopefully empower them and enable them to do what we really can do best. So as I said, I think to a large degree, when you see these business leaders saying, yeah, I don't really value HR and I don't really have an HR function, well, you'll get what you're you know, professing. Um, and that will probably continue to either reinforce your existing view of HR, or maybe you will reach a, a moment of great enlightenment when you realise that is not good enough for the kind of business that we have and what we are driving for. To me, the wider point is we all need HR. I mean, we, we need something that understands there are many uh, what you might see is some of the more administrative things, but they are important, you know, all the way from understanding the legal issues of employment uh, through to good recruitment practices, through consistent pay schemes and structures and so forth. But the operating model for HR itself, I think we are in a time and a space now where we really need to be innovating, much more prepared to say there isn't a single model or best practice. It's what's best fit for my organization, my culture as a business and what best aligns to the operating model of the business. What has shifted the dial for many business leaders when it comes to their appreciation of people matters and the HR profession itself is the pandemic. Keeping frontline workers safe enabling millions of people to work remotely, navigating the ever-changing furlough scheme and now embracing hybrid working. It's been a busy few years for the profession. And that's not to mention the impact of social justice issues like Black Lives Matter. So how has the pandemic changed the standing of HR? 
how do we hold on to the gains and what opportunities and challenges lie in the profession's future. I genuinely think the pandemic has, has shifted HR much more to the front and centre of business. And at the, you know, the early months of the pandemic in 2020, having many conversations as business leaders and HR leaders who said the same thing, it's absolutely propelled HR to the front and centre of the business agenda. It was a people crisis after all. Um, HR leaders saying they were in the CEO and the executive team and the chairman or chairperson's office almost every day. I think unquestionably has, has positioned HR more strongly. But of course, wrapped around all of that is a better understanding, I believe now in businesses about people, about questions of things like flexible working and well-being and inclusion and diversity and, and how we create sustainable organizations and what's likely to keep people here and what engages them and how we motivate them and how we understand productivity. Those aren't new issues, but the, the pandemic, as any crisis tends to, has greatly accelerated these kind of issues for our profession and therefore for business as well. And, and through all of that, and I think let's give credit where credit's due, our profession really did step up during the pandemic. It was very much front and centre of all of this. And, and I think business leaders and, and indeed not just the leaders, but people in organisations could see what we did and the value that we gave and how we supported our people. So we stepped up and that's been a positive reflection. And then in the context of this greatly heightened business agenda and awareness of all these people and culture and operational dynamics that HR has a real role to play and we should build from that and drive forwards. If we look to the future of HR, I think there are very interesting opportunities and challenges. I think if we think in the short term, HR in some organisations at least is not in a bad place after two years of responding to pandemic. Sometimes it's got some capital in the bank and it's a chance to show that it can continue to be a responsive organisation as it faces fresh challenges, especially the challenges of the labour market, I think. Um, we've lost a lot of people from the workforce and we really need to understand why and how we make being at work attractive. Some of the big challenges, I think, over the next few years for HR and, and sort of the way the map of the agenda of HR perhaps needs to change is I think for too long HR has neglected work design and productivity. What I think of as the demand side of the workforce. What workforce do we need? How do we design good work, jobs that are efficient? Too often HR is just what I think of as the bums on seats function, you know, the, 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 the function that gets the people there once someone else has decided what jobs need to be done. Productivity is such a central issue for the UK and very few organisations measure their productivity effectively. I think functions like OD or OE should be doing that, but that's not taken root in a healthy way in the UK. Obviously, part of that story is also about the use of technology, not just in HR work, but in work generally. HR should be right in there thinking about how we design jobs, building technology in. I think perhaps we need to rethink what management is. If HR works with management, what is this thing we call management? Are we really thinking enough about what does a manager do? 
in the 21st century if it's not about command and control and it's not about presenteeism. And if HR works with managers, then what are we doing and what are managers doing that between us facilitate more effective work from our employees? That brings me to the sort of collaborative nature of HR. I think HR needs to be working collaborative with other functions, but very much also with managers and employees. And I think for me, that feels like where we're heading. And in many organisations, HR already sees itself as having that facilitative, more collaborative way of working. I don't think that's just for OD experts. I think that's for us all. The future then looks bright, if not without its challenges, for those able and willing to step up, to evolve, to learn and to lead. Certainly, a profession that moves forwards into the vision of the future that Wendy and Peter paint is not one that we should be abolishing anytime soon. But perhaps the killer final question in this debate has to be this. If HR didn't exist in the first place, would we choose to invent it? Could we live, or at least work, without it? Before we had HR, even before the Industrial Revolution, what did we need to do? What of this is fundamental? And as soon as we had mass labour in Mesopotamia, in Egypt, we had to organise labour. We had foremen who interestingly reported on the number of accidents slaves had. The Greeks and Romans had amazingly complex administrative systems for keeping an eye on labour and the costs of labour and the numbers of labour. And then, of course, in medieval Europe, we had guilds, which are very instructive to think about as devices for training people, but also for quality control of work. So many of the things that HR does today are necessary because as soon as you organise labour, you have to do some of those things. It's nothing to do with having a function called HR. But I think... What thinking a bit about history made me think about is that we've, we muddy some different things in there. There are things to do with organising work and getting hold of a workforce. There are things to do with managing and supervising work, which is really not what HR does. And then there's stuff about doing the paperwork, whether it's on stone tablets or on modern computers. And I think rather than the you know, narrative of strategic versus operational HR, if we thought about the essential requirements of HR, it might help us. I think we would reinvent a lot of HR, hopefully calling it something more sensible. But I don't think it would have the same shape as it has now. We would have to invent it, wouldn't we? So if we could literally start from a blank sheet of paper, I don't think anybody in today's world would say there is no need for any part of my business or function that needs to focus on all these different things. You know, people are culture and all these other things. Um, I don't think any business could say that because, you know, I remember being told years ago that in any organization, you only really have two things. You have money and you have people. We spend a lot of time worrying about the money and counting it and measuring it and all sorts of standards and so forth. We haven't done enough around the people. And now we're in a context where that has become 
very abundantly clear. So if it wasn't there, I profoundly believe we would need to build it and invent it. But we might start from a slightly different place and maybe more optimistic, more positive, more confident space uh, and talking much more at the very heart of all of this needs to be professionalism and needs to be real capability. And therefore also needs to be diversity of experience coming in and out of HR to drive it for the future. And I think we would look at all of those things and look at ideas like there is not one single best practice, let's figure out the operator models that work best with. So I think we would probably be even quicker onto those ideas if we started from a blank sheet of paper. And therefore, if we didn't have it, we would absolutely miss it. Uh, and I think every business would really, really struggle uh, to do the things we're talking about now and therefore would have to create it. So there you have it. The HR profession might not be perfect. Who is? But as long as people remain central to business success, we are going to need a way of managing, motivating and looking after them. If we were starting from scratch without the function's legacy, we might well design it differently. But the types of work and desired outcomes would likely look very similar. Instead of obsessing about the past then, the profession needs to face the future and the opportunities it brings with confidence. We shouldn't need to abolish HR or blow it up to tackle poor practice. Instead, we need to innovate, to take the good and turn it into something even stronger. You have been listening to the What If podcast, brought to you by the CIPD's Work magazine. To find out more about how the CIPD is dedicated to better work and working lives, visit cipd.co.uk. And don't forget to check out the rest of the What If series from your podcast provider or the peoplemanagement.co.uk website.